Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport, a retrospective series on the most compelling, the most controversial and the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Last time out, we look back on the year the legendary Eddie Merckx broke rival Luis Acaña by almost winning two stages in one day during the 1972 Tour de France. In this edition of Recycle, we're riding with the first South American to win a Grand Tour, Colombia's Luis Lucho Herrera, and the stories of race-fixing, kidnapping and saddle sores around his 1987 Vuelta España title. Known as El Jardinerito, the little gardener, green-fingered Luis Herrera certainly achieved more success on his bike than he did working on a flower plantation in his native Fusagasuga. A mainstay in the distinctive red, blue, yellow and white Café de Colombia jersey during the 1980s, Lucho Herrera would rack up a total of five King of the Mountains wins across all three Grand Tours, claiming eight stage wins in the process. He became only the second rider in history to win the KOM jersey in all three of cycling's main stage races after the Spaniard Frederico Bajamontes. Described by Colombian cycling specialist Matt Rendell as a slender god with tiny, extruded glass limbs, Herrera was a shy and reserved man who used the bike to express himself. This he did primarily wherever the road went uphill, with the pint-sized Colombian possessing an ability to outclimb his peers in an era that included legends such as Bernard Eno, Laurent Fignon, Greg LeMond, Pedro Delgado, Robert Miller, Sean Kelly, Andy Hampston, and Stephen Roach. Colombian cycling was on a high in 1984 when Martin Ramirez won the Dauphiné Libre ahead of big hitters Eno and Le Monde. Weeks later, Herrera danced clear to win on the legendary Alpe d'Huez in the Tour to become the first Colombian stage winner in the world's biggest bike race. In the words of Rendell in his book Kings of the Mountains, his countrymen felt fated. A Colombian would surely win the Tour, cycling's biggest prize, before the decade was out. Herrera had carried Colombia to the threshold. Three years later, Herrera won the Vuelta a España to become the first South American to win a Grand Tour. But while Nairo Quintana would become the first to win the Giro in 2014 before emulating his countryman Herrera in the Vuelta two years later, it was not until 2019 that a South American would win the Tour. The yellow jersey triumph of 22-year-old Colombian Egan Bernal came two months after Ecuador's Richard Carapaz, Quintana's Movistar teammate and Bernal's future colleague Team Ineos, won the Giro, a race Bernal would have ridden had he not broken a collarbone in training. 
Quintana was among the favourites for the 2019 Vuelta, but South America could not quite make it a clean sweep of Grand Tours in a single season, with Quintana and fellow Colombian Miguel Angel Lopez finishing fourth and fifth on the podium. It would instead be Slovenia's Primoz Roglic who would take his first Grand Tour. It wasn't to be for Quintana in 2019, but Herrera's historic 1987 Vuelta began well even before the race had started. Defending champion Alvaro Pino was ruled out of the race because of illness. That made the favourites entering the 42nd edition of that April's Vuelta, Irishman Kelly, Frenchman Fignon and the 1985 Spanish winner Pedro Delgado. Kelly was the form rider, having won Paris-Nice for the sixth time and the Criterium Internationale before finishing runner-up in the Tour of Flanders. His legs responded well to the initial challenge as he came second behind Belgian teammate Jean-Luc Vandenbroek in the prologue before taking the golden jersey, as it was then, a day later by winning the opening road stage. Kelly traded the jersey de oro with Italian Roberto Pagnin a couple of times in the opening week as Herrera tried his best to make up lost time from the individual time trial on stage three. In his early 20s, Herrera had made his name as a brilliant climber off the back of that win on Alpe d'Huez in 1984. He followed that up with a top 10 finish in the Tour, as well as taking the polka dot jersey and stage wins at Morzine and Saint-Étienne. If Herrera was hardly wet behind the ears despite his tender years, he still wasn't expected to be a factor in the general classification, largely thanks to his rotten riding against the clock. Perhaps he and Quintana have more in common than we originally thought. But in 1987's Stage 6 to Andorra, Herrera and the Colombians rose to the top. He finished third on the stage, but took 22 seconds on Delgado, a minute on Kelly and even more on Fignon, as five Colombian riders finished in the top 10. Kelly might have moved back into the golden jersey, but Herrera was up to eighth and the scene was set for the fireworks that would follow. Kelly conceded the race the following day after the Colombians had set an infernal pace ahead of the first of five climbs. The intention was to nullify the threat of a breakaway, which could pose questions to the GC men, while attempting to isolate the favourites by landing blows on their teammates. With 35 riders eliminated that day alone for finishing outside the time limit, the strategy clearly worked. Indeed, the organisers had to extend the limit to keep a further 27 riders in the race. Herrera took time on his rivals as Germany's Raimund Dietzen moved into the lead. Only 49 seconds behind and in fifth, Herrera was also wearing the then-red climbers jersey. There followed a lull in proceedings ahead of stage 11 to the misty Lagos de Covadonga in Asturias. On his 26th birthday, Herrera put in an attack for which no one had the answer. The Colombian took a minute and a half on Kelly as he wrestled the golden jersey from Dietzen's shoulders, with Delgado and Fignon finishing more than three minutes down. And yet, his rivals still did not consider Herrera a threat, largely thanks to his inability to race against the clock and the perceived weakness of his inexperienced teammates to be able to control the race. What's more, while the Colombians made light work of riding uphill, matters were a little different going the other way. They were very difficult to live with in the mountains, says Sean Kelly, but in the time trails they would lose a lot of time and also on the descending where they were really bad. The Colombians would take a minute on the climb, then on the other side, going down 10 or 12 kilometres, you could take that time back. A lot of times they crashed as well. I remember that very clearly. 
The Café de Colombia guys would go away on the climbs and you'd pick them up on the other side after they'd hit the deck hard. Faustino Ruperez, Kelly's director sportif at CAS, the team sponsored by the Spanish soft drinks company, was satisfied with the state of play after stage 11. His rider was just 40 seconds down and, in his eyes, the clear favourite because the approaching stages, including the time trial, suited his strengths far better. Kelly might have failed to make any significant inroads on Herrera's lead over the coming days, but he did manage to ride back into goal in the 24km stage 18 time trial in Valladolid. The Irishman ended the day with a 42-second advantage over the Colombian, with just three competitive stages left to run. Although his lead was slender, Kelly was confident of holding on, provided he could get over one small, albeit growing, obstacle. Kelly's problem was indeed getting bigger. He had had a saddle sore that was becoming increasingly painful in the week leading up to the time trial. It was just a lump on the patch where you sit on the saddle, Kelly says. You could get them from an ingrown hair, and when you're on the bike all the time, sweating, it gets infected. It was like a pigeon's egg with a build-up of fluid, and it was getting more irritating and more sore as the days went on. On the evening before the time trial, Kelly had two options. Grit his teeth and try and bear it, or have the team doctor perform a little operation. He opted for the latter. The night before the time trial, the doctor decided to lance it to drain it a little bit and put a couple of stitches in, says Kelly. I did the time trial and took the jersey, but it was very painful. That evening, he looked at it again and re-stitched it because the effort on the time trial bike had me moving all the time. Kelly started stage 19 to Avia, but lasted only 20 kilometres. I couldn't bear the pain anymore, he explains. I had to pull out. So, would Kelly have won the 1987 of Welter were it not for his injury? I had it won, he says. It was three days from the finish and I'd got through all the big stages. There were mountains but nothing big time left. I think I had a really big chance of winning it because apart from the saddle sore, I was feeling good. With his nearest rival out of the picture, Herrera moved back into the overall lead after Fignon's stage win in Avia. He kept the Jersey de Oro for the next two days before riding into Madrid to become the first South American to win a Grand Tour, by 1 minute and 4 seconds over Dietzen and 3 minutes 13 seconds over Fignon. A total of 12 Colombians finished the 1987 Vuelta in the top 30, including 6 from Herrera's Café de Colombia team and a further 6 from the Manzana Postabon squad, who won the team classification. It was a sign of just how strong a grip the South Americans had on the peloton in the late 80s. There would, however, be a footnote from Fignon. In his autobiography, We Were Young and Carefree, the late Fignon alleged that Luis Herrera's team manager at Café de Colombia bribed the Frenchman and his Système U team into not attacking the Colombian on the decisive final stage of the race. The Colombians are offering us money not to attack, Cyril Guimar allegedly said. Fignon added, We didn't have any intention of attacking because they offered us 30,000 francs at the time, around £3,500, per rider, not to. Of the final stage, when Herrera led Dietzen by just over a minute, Fignon wrote, There was a hell of a wind blowing and you could sense the fear of the Colombians. In fact, if we had wanted to, we could have taken the initiative and blown them all apart without any problem. In the event, Fignon, despite the agreement, increased the tempo because he was bored and eager to fly home. So we tried to speed things up. You should have seen Herrera's gestures when we were on the front. Filled with panic, he said we were playing a dirty trick. Why are you riding if we've paid you, he shouted at me. 
I quickly told him that my intention was just to get out of Spain as fast as possible. Herrera, of course, denied it all. After publication of Fignon's book in 2010, he told the Colombian media, What he says in his book is total rubbish. We had a good team and we didn't need any outside help to win. In addition, there were three teams there with Colombian riders who could have helped me out. If things were as Fignon says, why didn't he say so at the time? For his part, Kelly is unconvinced about Fignon's allegation, claiming the Frenchman was definitely fighting to win the Vuelta. I don't know what happened afterwards when I left the race, but I doubt what Fignon said was true, says Kelly. I'm sure the allegations were just to add a bit of spice to his book. I didn't see anything and never heard anything from my teammates. So, what happened next? The little gardener finished fifth in that year's Tour de France and won the polka dot jersey, but he would slump to 20th place in the defence of his Vuelta crown in 1988 as Kelly put things right with the only Grand Tour victory of his career. Herrera would win the Dauphiné twice and top the mountain standings in the 1989 Giro and 1991 Vuelta, but he would never again reach the same lofty heights as he did in May 1987 in Spain. It was unbelievable how dominant the guys from Café de Colombia were in the mountains, Kelly recalls. They were a force that had us thinking, well, these guys are going to be around for a long time. When Lucho won the Vuelta, we thought they'd win the Tour within a couple of years. But then the team folded because of domestic issues, and they disappeared. Compatriot Fabio Parra would finish third in the 1988 Tour, but the huge promise shown by that generation of Colombian riders never fully materialised. The bubble burst as Colombia's political instability led to the rise of the cocaine cartels and cycling became inextricably linked with the world of drug smuggling, political instability and domestic violence, all of which is covered by Rendell in Kings of the Mountains. There were always a smattering of Colombians around some of the domestic European teams, but not the domination we expected, Kelly says. Now, the surprising thing is that you have super climbers like Bernal and Quintana, but also sprinters like Fernando Gaviria, who are among the best in the world. They have everybody now, a really dominant force. As for South America's first Grand Tour winner, he would find himself as a pawn in his nation's civil strife when, in January 2000, he was kidnapped just months after his fellow cyclist Oliviero Rincon suffered the same fate. Visiting his mother in Fusagasuga, Herrera was carried off by seven masked men from the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia guerrilla group. The message was clear. No one was out of reach, even beloved sporting icons. And yet, those carrying out the crime did not realise who they had abducted. When they did, they made Herrera recount his victories from his windowless cell. As Herrera recalled, the whole time they asked me endless questions about Altuez, Covadonga and La Linea, a famed Colombian climb, as though this was a perfectly good time to have a pleasant conversation on the matter. Sitting there talking to them only made me more nervous because they were purposefully trying to intimidate and terrorise me as well. After one day in captivity, he was told he could leave. But, because it was night time, he decided to stay until the following morning. When members of the guerrilla group demanded more stories, he told them about his Vuelta win in 1987. Following Herrera's release, Jorge Humberto Tenio Porras, president of Colombia's cycling federation, said, With this act, our country has hit an all-time low. They are now kidnapping our beloved heroes. At the subsequent trial of the two men who led the group of kidnappers, one of them made the following statement. 
I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to Mr. Lucho Herrera for the very uncomfortable position that he was put in as a result of the kidnapping, particularly keeping in mind that he's a great figure of Colombian cycling, one that instead of being harmed should be protected. Thank you. This has been another episode of Recycle by Eurosport, written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos, produced by Pete Burton. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze and you can find me at Graham Wilgos. You can follow Eurosport at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Join us for our next episode when we'll be looking back to Jacques Anquetil's champagne fueled 1963 Vuelta victory, which made him the first rider to win all of cycling's grand tours. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.